many of you have felt this year like a, an acceleration in your own life? Like, uh, <laughs> okay, let me just explain myself before you open <laughs> An acceleration happening in the heart of um, just drawing closer to him. Uh, it's just been an increase, I, I feel just an increase in his presence. And you know, circumstances may not have changed in your life since even 2017. But something has changed in the spirit. And uh, as a family, we're going after that. And we're going to ride that wave. And then when the next wave comes, we're riding that together. Amen? We do it together. So I have on my heart something to share with you. And I need my glasses to see far. And then I have to take them off to read. So might be a bit of that happening. But I have on my heart to share about our the soul of man, your soul, and cultivating your soul in the midst of the good times and in the midst of the bad times. And I'm going to share a few things this morning, and uh, just bear with me because there's so much on my heart, and I, I really want the Holy Spirit to have His way here, and that it wouldn't just be words today, but something would change in your heart um, that would help you respond to him in a deeper way. So, Father, thank you. Thank you that you're here. We just feel your nearness. We feel surrounded by you this morning and every morning. But in this place today, we give you permission to do everything that you want for us in our hearts and lives, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to talk a little bit this morning on a soul that is always well. And um, you may have heard many uh, internet sermons or preachers preaching on a prosperous soul. And uh, how many know prosperity isn't just financial? It is, it is health and wealth, but in every area of our lives. But I wanted to touch on something this morning that I feel the Holy Spirit's going to direct us in a way. Um, you've noticed for a long while that we as a church and leadership and, and pastors have been purposeful in um, creating family in this community and teaching about family and praying into family and uh, being intentional with our language because everything has to change when you're going after it. So we're going after family, and we found that our language needs to change, okay? The family, the true spiritual family. And so we as a church and as leaders are committed to cultivate this and see it function as it is intended to be. As it is in heaven, let it be here on earth, okay? So, so heaven sees her bride, that's us, in a way that we may not look at the bride, and we want to go after that. We want to not only see it, but we want to become that. Okay? So things change in order to function and go after it intentionally. So with navigating family and church life, we are confronted with areas in our own hearts that need transformation. How many of you have felt that? There's been a lot of, of beautiful change that Holy Spirit is bringing about because He wants transformation. And parts of our transformation 
are our thinking, our thoughts, our thought life, and our will. Because our, our thoughts and our will determine our behavior. Okay? So, how many of us know that family is not a matter of the mind, but it's a matter of the heart? You can know who your family members are with your mind, but you don't love them with your mind. You love them with your being, your soul, your heart, okay? And family can be messy at times. Children can be wild. How many of you know that? <laughs> and parents can be confusing <laughs> at times because, let me just say this up front, <laughs> parents also go on journeys, okay? We're not just there for the kids. We also go on journeys, and we don't really hit the mark every time. Hey, guys? I've only got Courtney here, so she's just so sweet, and she's going, it's okay, Mom. <laughs> but if Connor and Casey were here, they'd be going, uh-huh. <laughs> So as parents, we miss it. We miss the mark, but I'm realizing more and more that uh, we're not after a mark of perfectionism because perfectionism is where you're only concerned about what others think of you, to be perfect so that others think you're great, okay? We don't have to be perfect parents. Just throwing that out for free. Um, so in order to truly experience the glory of family in the body, I felt it necessary to share on the soul, and the soul of every one of us. And so I want to ask you the question this morning, how is your soul doing? Remember I said now that our soul is the spiritual entity of our personhood. We have a body, okay, but the soul is the spiritual entity of our personhood. And it has functions of thought, as I've just said, and of will, and that determines our behavior. And interesting, the Hebrew word for soul is nephesh. It's N-E-P-H-E-S-H, nephesh, and it means living being. So the soul is your living being, okay? Just a little bit of teaching before we get to the nitty-gritties. So all of us desire something in life, and all of us desire connection. Connection to God, connection with each other, and it is in the soul and the heart of every person. So if you look at yourself, you look at your upbringing, look at your parents, relatives, think back to some of your teachers, the way you were educated, your experiences, and even some of the churches you've attended. Okay, those factors have had an effect on our souls along the way. And it's like we will not let anything hurt us again. Am I correct? I don't want teachers in my life. So I, I really do honor those who are in their 40s and 50s and 60s who are doing degrees. <laughs> because uh, that's amazing. I don't really want having teachers back in my life. But anyway, just because of the past. Anyway, we're going to be free from all of that today. So, amen, hey? So, we don't want to get hurt again, so we build walls to protect our hearts. We build walls to protect our souls, to shut out anything that can remind us of past pain or hurt. Am I correct? All right, so we know where the buttons are, and if someone presses another button, we just go, I'll press the other button, and the wall goes up. Okay, we don't want 
to deal with some of these things. And to be quite vulnerable, when you are middle-aged, <laughs> uh, you find things that have happened in your past ding, just rear their little ugly heads and go, you know, hey, hey, remember this. But you know what's so beautiful about Jesus is he goes, no, don't worry about that. I've got that covered. Okay, and then he takes you on a journey, even in your middle years. Hey, anybody out there? Okay, where things are like, whoo, oh boy, I've got to deal with that. But you deal with it and journey it with him because he had that covered for us. Okay, and then he wants to transform and bring us into areas of freedom, to live in freedom. So just as a foundation, some of us cannot access the very things that we are hungry for. Ask yourself, I'm not talking about food, <laughs> okay? In the spirit, we are hungry for certain things. And if you're in Jesus, you are hungry for, for more all the time. But some of us struggle to access those things. Why? Because we've set up camp and or rather a prison, because those walls that you set up around you can form a prison from pain, but it keeps you captive, okay? Or you set up camp with the comforts of this life, or the comforts of relationships that just keep you comfortable, keep you safe, and you don't want to mess with the boundaries. You don't want to enlarge or stretch or break down anything to see any more that God has for you because it's comfortable and it's safe and you feel protected. But it's a prison, and he wants to shatter that once and for all. In fact, not once and for all. You journey this in your life. One wall comes down. Maybe a couple of months later, he says, I love you so much, I want to remove that wall too. Next year, I love you, Jane, so much that you know that? That's coming down now too. And he does it with love, and our response to him is crucial in the transformation that we so want, okay? So, so these things that we desire so deeply become inaccessible, and then we just become happy with that. Well, I can't access that, but sure, she can, and wow, he's going for it, but I'm not like that because you're just too comfortable, but you've actually built a prison around yourself and your soul, okay? So we've stopped being vulnerable with God and with each other. And what is family? It's a little messy, and we need to be vulnerable with that too. So what are we actually craving? Every one of us, we desire connection, and we're, we're craving intimacy, true connection, we crave belonging, acceptance, true love from God and each other, our true family. And I know I've got family members who are even the most academic, intellectual minds. And yet I know deep down they will respond to love. I don't have answers for them when they want to get into discussions. I don't have the answers. I have the truth. But they're... They're not open to the truth yet, but they are open to love. Anyone and everyone is open to love. Sometimes it takes longer 
and you've got to push through some things, but they are open to love because we were all created to love and to be loved, okay? So let's look at social media. Social media is a false form of vulnerability. Do you agree with me? It's a false form of vulnerability. If you look through all the posts and you see how vulnerable people get, and they get quite confident in telling you what they're doing, how they're feeling. And it's a false sense. Why? Because there's no accountability with that at all. You can post what you like. How many of you also, I do it, you look at, you, you post something and you look, who's liked it? You know, but have the people that really matter, have they liked it? No. Oh my gosh. You know, how many likes did I get? Wow, you know, it's a false sense of, um, of connection. There's no accountability. We only find accountability in relationships, one-on-one, not through a screen, okay? So real living relationships require accountability with vulnerability. And vulnerability, sometimes if you think back to your past, you go, I don't want to go there. Vulnerable, what a terrible word. Who wants to be vulnerable again? But there's a vulnerability with Jesus that is so beautiful and precious, but it is so powerful. And we're going to look into that a little bit more. So, again, how is your soul doing now? Are you, are you opening up a little bit? Are you, are you thinking about the walls that you've put up maybe in your own life that Holy Spirit wants to dismantle in love? So does your soul do well in good times? Yes. And, and how does it do in, in the not-so-good times? Do you fall apart and then put the walls up again? I think we do that. All right? There's a man called David who we know well in the Word, and I think he was one of the most vulnerable men um, in the Bible, and he knew what vulnerability looked like. Most times in the same psalm, if you read, he would express deep disappointment and despair. And then in the very next line, worship God. And you think, is he schizophrenic, bipolar? What, what's going on here? No, he was absolutely vulnerable. He knew how to be real and authentic with his God. And just remember, he knew this in here, and Jesus had not even come yet. So he saw the redemption and the salvation of the Son of God that was to come. He saw it, and then he lived it and experienced it with God. Isn't that amazing? And now we're on the other side of the cross with Jesus living inside of us, living with the Holy Spirit every single day. How can we not be vulnerable because we're so covered and surrounded? Okay, we've got to like shake off and remove the lies that come around our mind and change our thinking. So he would say things like, why so downcast, oh my soul? And then I put my hope in God, I put my hope in God, and he's worshiping. It was just extremes all the time. You think, oh my gosh, we can relate to that. Okay, don't read the Bible as, oh, David did that, and yes, and Moses, and you know. Be real, oh, Jane. Why so downcast, Jane? Oh, Jane's soul, why are you so downcast today? And just respond in worship. 
It is being vulnerable with the one we love. So the beautiful thing about vulnerability is that it attracts nearness, nearness. So being rather than knowing requires showing up and letting ourselves be seen. <laughs> I grew up, I mean, my parents are beautiful, but I grew up with children should be seen and not heard. You know, and so we were ever so polite and ever so well behaved when we visited, and that's a good thing, but it had the wrong intent, <laughs> you know? So being rather than knowing requires showing up and letting ourselves be seen. So this is worship to God. Let's take this morning. We come corporately together as family and we come before him. We know a lot about him, don't we? We've been around in church for so long. We know how worship services should look like. Eh? We know that in 24-7, we're going to probably have 45 minutes to an hour of worship. We know that there's going to be some people coming to the front. We know that some are going to stand at the back. We know, we know a lot. We know Jane's hair is going to be going all over the place. Um, we know we're going to be in the presence of God. But I want something to change in your hearts next time we're together, and maybe just now when we come back. I want you to be conscious of being in his presence, not just knowing his presence. This is worship to God because intimacy requires letting ourselves be seen. How many of you know that? Intimacy requires letting ourselves be seen. And this is a biggie, because we don't always want to be seen, okay? And some of you are thinking, but that's no problem, Jane. I don't have a problem with that. In my closet, I'm very real with God. But you're not seen, <laughs> seen by him, but not your family, okay? So we want to keep, and especially as South Africans, I just want to smash this thing in its face. <laughs> it's, we're so conservative, and we so want to just do things our own way, and then when we want to, we want to ah, have friends, and, but then we want to go back, and it's a terrible culture, that. It's not kingdom culture, and that's what we want to smash. So, being intimate and being vulnerable with God should be felt by others around you, not just God, and it should be celebrated together with family, and it should be journeyed with family, it's what we call family worship, family prayer, family fellowship, and it involves trusting each other. And what we've done as a worship team, we meet on Thursday nights now, and uh, we hardly ever play music anymore, except on a Sunday. But we connect on a Thursday, and we go into prayer together, but we are vulnerable. We've, we've learned to be vulnerable with one another, that there's no masks, there's no, and if there are... We, we have freedom to take it off each other because we know we're loved. And we are infiltrating this through the small groups and the home groups, and we're seeing it happen because people are just going, you know, it is all about trust. I don't really want to just throw my junk on the table because we need to trust one another before we do that. And there is wisdom in that, so I'm not throwing the baby out with the bathwater, poor baby. But... I, I, 
it, we, we do need a level of trust and all that. So I'm not saying we just splurge it all out, but there, there is this family dynamic that we are going after, and it involves trust, it involves being messy, it involves confrontation in love. How many of you love confrontation? I don't. But Jesus confronted. How many times did he confront? And it was with truth and firmness, but it was with love. And it was with a future in mind. He saw the best in the person. And that's what we want to cultivate here. So, so there is wisdom in who you share your heart with. But what we are talking about today is cultivating connections and relationships with the family of God. So we can access everything God has for us together. We can't do it together if we're all hiding. Okay? It's going to take a long time for us to come out together from hiding. Okay? So the most important connection that you and I need to have is to be connected to what he says about you. We need to make that connection all the time. We need to make decisions to have that connection with him all the time. Because things come and lies come. And uh, whether it's people you dislike from afar or people close to you, the enemy comes and does what he likes when he's allowed to. But when you are connected with him and you believe what he says about you, we begin to learn to declare that over yourself, okay, over ourselves. We declare what he says about us, and then we're content with this, and we're happy. We find such joy in this, and then it, it becomes it becomes a, a, a protection thing. It's, it's, he just comes to surround us with what he feels about you, what he thinks about you, and when we start believing that, there's nothing that can penetrate that. Okay, so I want to I turn to Psalm 23. It's a psalm we know so well. I'm not going to go through every line, but I want to share it and explain something for me personally that's happened over the last few months. And in a time of lack or a time of scarcity in certain areas, I found situation hadn't changed, but the Lord was journeying with me and he has been journeying with my heart. And out of it has come this beautiful transformation of my heart in certain areas. And it's like you, can't, you don't really have words for this. Because when he does it, he does it. And um, there's no method in this, but it's a, it's a being vulnerable. And I, I've allowed myself to be vulnerable with him and with people in certain areas of my life. And I can honestly say there's been victory and breakthrough in the things that I struggled with about four or five months ago. And it's all him, and it's beautiful, but I had to respond to him. So let's look at Psalm 23. It starts, says, says, the Lord is my shepherd. Just that, if you stop there, the Lord is my shepherd. So I want you this week to declare that over your life every single day. The Lord is my shepherd. The next verse is, I shall not want. What you're declaring there is, there is no lack in me. There is no lack in me. Do you know that there could be lack over here that's dictating to me? 
like a bank account or a, a health situation or something, and you just, there's lack there, but there's no lack in me. That's what the word says. So declare those two things. The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. If you do that every day, watch things begin to change in your soul area, okay? Your greatest warfare is to look into the middle of what looks like an impossible situation and say, I shall not want. Every single time, look into the middle of an impossible situation and declare, I shall not want. There is no lack in me. That is your worship, and that is your warfare. Okay? So let's look at, for example, health. Who knows and understands that we were born for divine health? We know that. This is a culture and a value in our church. We were born for divine health. Then the lie comes, but I'm in hospital, I'm on crutches, I'm in pain. This is the response. I am being trained and equipped for divine health. The fact is, we were born for divine health. The fact is, Jesus died on the cross and paid for sins and he purchased our healing for us. Once and for all, he has done that. It's a done deal. Why do we get sick? We don't know. But I'm not going to debate that with God because his truth is higher than any debate. Okay? So he is my healer. I have divine health. I'm in pain. I'm in hospital. I have to see the doctor or I'm on crutches or some. I'm not using that for you, Ma. I'm just using that out there. Um, but take it. <laughs> And um, in, the, in the process, okay, even in the pain, we're being trained and equipped for divine health because that is our standard. That is our truth. And then if you read on, just for time's sake, I'm not going to go through, it says, and uh, the valley of the shadow of death. We know this um, psalm very well. Remember, it's a shadow of death. It's not the valley of death. It's the valley of the shadow of death. And there are, we, we want to know why, Lord. You know, we ask God the wrong questions half the time. And then it causes disbelief because we're just enjoying, the devil's just enjoying us asking God the wrong questions. So in the valley of the shadow of death, in the difficult times where the things seem impossible, he says that he's, 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 made a, a, he's prepared a table for us in the presence of our enemies. Even in that space, we access God. Okay? It says, I've said, there are measures of his presence and realms of heaven that we can only find in the valley of the shadow of death. You can't find it in the party or the breakthrough. We find other things in the party and the breakthrough with Jesus, but there are realms and measures of his presence that are only accessible and can only be discovered when we are walking in the valley of the shadow of death. So our, our being in Christ doesn't say we're never going to have hard times, but in the hard times, when your soul is well okay, and prosperous, you can see him in the valley. 
you can see the table prepared for you in the valley. And you, you, our response is, woohoo! I don't care what's going on. I'm meeting you in the valley of shadow of death. I'm coming to this table and I'm going to experience you in a realm that I can never, ever experience anywhere else. And it's a table just for you. He might prepare a different table for you and for you. He's done that for us. He's, he's created parties and breakthroughs for us, but he's also prepared himself in the valley. I mean, he's an incredible God. He is amazing. So finding measures of his presence and realms of heaven in this place, it requires a vulnerability with God. And it's in these times that our words and our language and our declaration must be verbalized. We can't go into hiding because that's where the enemy sort of says, thinks he was won. He's, he hasn't won. He'll never win. But he'll cause delay in our lives if we think we've got to shut our mouths. And I'm telling you, we are a prophetic company of people here. There are prophets in this house. You are prophetic in nature just because you are a believer, okay? And that prophetic nature makes him tremble with fear because we already see the victory. We all, so it doesn't matter what's going on every day. It does not matter anymore because we, we have a purpose. Our purpose is to know him and to make him known. That is what we're here on earth for. And so any kind of delay and anything that the enemy wants to whisper in our ears, we have to respond to him, or to God rather, not to him, he's, he's worthless, he means nothing. We respond to God with a declaration by verbalizing the truth and changing our language, okay? So nearness, this nearness that we're talking about, nearness with a spouse, nearness with your children, nearness with friends and family, all require vulnerability. Just think about a family. Families are supposed to, you're supposed to feel loved in. They should not be linear. They weren't intended to be, you know, like an army with formation. Line up, it's breakfast time. You know. Where are you? You're late for dinner. You know, it's, it's family. It's, hey, what's for dinner? Woohoo! Come, let's get it out the kitchen. Let's cook it. Let's put it on the table. Let's eat together. That's family. And sometimes when family are down and sometimes when family are up, we're there for one another in the journey of family, okay? Let's hope. <laughs> some of us have had good experiences, some bad, with parents and with relatives and, and how you were brought up. But God's intention is that, that family is vulnerable together. Um, letting yourselves be seen, being in a family, not just knowing about my family, but being in the family. And the most incredible thing about God is, and I said it earlier, is that you may not be initiating anything with God. I think I said it in the prayer meeting. But he is always after you. His nature does not change. He chases after us. He looks to and fro over the earth to see who will worship him in spirit and in truth. He goes after us, people. 
So whether you are lovers of God and you come in and you're responding, and whether you are someone who's just come in and you haven't initiated anything and you really (laughs) can't see much in front of you, he's coming after you. He is the initiator for intimacy with you. He initiates it, and we just need to respond. So he never changes his posture towards us ever. Even when you think you've disappointed him, he has never changed his posture and will never will. So very important, as our soul prospers in the unseen realm, what does that mean, Jane? How does your soul prosper in the unseen realm? Well, if we're to worship in spirit and in truth, that's an unseen realm. Worship in spirit because God is spirit. And now we are spirit beings because we've been born again. Okay? So there's an unseen realm in our relationship because we cannot see him, but we love him. We have faith in him, but we don't see him. That's an unseen realm. Faith is an unseen realm, and it's the most powerful realm ever. So as our soul prospers in that unseen realm of relationship with him, so my seen realm prospers. And don't look at people and say, but I don't see them prospering, because you're looking through natural eyes. We've got to look at one another with eternity in our hearts and eternity in our eyes. We cannot treat each other with anger. We cannot treat each other with um, false expectations and, and all of that. We've got to treat each other with pure love, and we've got to see the best in one another. Our backgrounds and our situations are different, but we belong to a spirit family, which the love in a spirit family is the true love. Not the way we feel love here. It's true love. And that is what we're going after. Amen? And so, as our soul prospers in the unseen realm, so my seen realm prospers as I seek the kingdom first. I seek the unseen first. That is why we're here. Our home is not here. We know it. Our home is there. And so we practice it here. And then others will see they're different Why are they still happy when the world's falling apart? How can they love one another when someone dies? How can they how can they just sail through the death of a loved one? Well, we don't sail through it, but we are we're connected to Jesus. We can journey anything that comes our way when we're connected with him and we're intimate with him and that we're vulnerable with him. There's two ways I could go now and I'm Go both ways. Okay, I don't even know what the time is. Sorry, guys. But let's turn to uh, uh, Luke. Let's go to Luke. Luke chapter 13. Let me get another one. Oops. So Luke chapter 13 is about the woman who was bent over for 18 years. Do you remember that story? I'm just going to read it quickly from the Passion. 
It says, one Sabbath day while Jesus was teaching in the synagogue, he encountered a seriously handicapped woman. Okay, so I'm going to stop there because now he was in the temple and in those days, this part of the temple was filled with men. And then women were right at the back, sometimes behind a curtain. I'm so glad we weren't <laughs> warned for that time. But anyway, oh no. And um, so women were not visibly seen. They were right at the back. Men were in the front, okay? And it says, he encountered a seriously handicapped woman. She was crippled and had been doubled over for 18 years. Her condition was caused by a demonic spirit of bondage that had left her unable to stand up straight. So this is what she was doing. She was, if I had a picture, I'd put it up there, but she was like this, like that, bent over for 18 years. So what do you see when you're bent over like this? You just see 60 centimeters, maybe, I don't know, in front of you. You can't even lift your head to see. You never see the future. You just see what's right there in front of you, and you're walking like this with a stick, that's all she could do, okay? Bent over for 18 years. Not only her body, can you imagine her soul? What she went through for 18 years, what, how she felt about herself. Not being able to see anybody turn her head, do anything like that, but she was bent over and she just, but you know what she was? She was a lady who came into the temple every Sabbath, just found her spot in the hiddenness. Anyway, Jesus, he sees her. He, so when Jesus saw her condition, he called her over. He's initiated it. Okay? Can you imagine how she responded the way he said, come, I'm calling you over, come over here. Now she's got to walk from the back through all these men who were not interested in women at the time there. Women shouldn't be in that place. They were insignificant. And now he has stopped his teaching to now call a woman who he has seen and to call her forward and to walk through this like this. Okay, all the way. Can you imagine the humiliation? But she came anyway. How many of us, after years and years of abuse, years and years of pain, you actually want to say, excuse me, did you say I must walk all that way? Can you imagine the bitterness, the rejection? I don't want to open myself up. You come here. No, she walked forward, okay? He called her over and gently laid his hands on her. He is so tender and loving towards us. Okay, you may have had a terrible father figure who may have pointed his finger at you, smacked you on the back of the head, said some nasty things. But Jesus, he's the most loving, beautiful Savior and friend. So and he says to her, dear woman, you are free. Can you imagine all the people, the men around there, going, okay, I release you forever from this crippling spirit. Just like that. And instantly she stood straight and tall and overflowed with glorious praise to God. 
instantly. So he just disrupted the meeting and in love saw her, called her forward, healed her instantly. She stood up tall. Can you imagine? She's never seen anything like this. Can you imagine? That's why she just praised him so much. She just overflowed with praise. She's now seeing things that she hasn't seen for 18 years. Then it says, the Jewish leader who was in charge of the synagogue was infuriated over Jesus' healing on the Sabbath day. Six days you are to work, he shouted angrily to the crowd. Those are the days you should come here for healing, but not on the seventh day. So the Lord said, you hopeless frauds, don't you care for your animals on the Sabbath day? untying your ox or donkey from the stall and leading it away to water. Like, don't you just take care of the things that are yours on the Sabbath? If you do this for your animals, what's wrong with allowing this beloved daughter of Abraham, who has been bound by Satan for 18 long years to be untied and set free on the Sabbath day? He not only heals her physically, but he says, daughter of Abraham, he now says, this is who she is. She's the daughter of Abraham. She is a free woman in the environment of just men who are angry and bitter, but who know the word, but they were angry and bitter, so there was no power. Anyway, what am I trying to say through all of this? <laughs> I felt this morning that we may not be physically bent over with a condition, but, but we could be stooped over in our soul area. We could be stooped over in the area of our soul. And remember what the soul is, it's our living being, okay? And I just felt that what the Lord wanted to do this morning, and we're going to make some space here to do that and courts can play, is that if you feel that there's areas of pain still, even from your past, you may have been prayed for lots of times, but there's something that stops you from being vulnerable with God and vulnerable with each other and with people. It's hard to trust. There's been too much pain. So, and, 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 and in cases, there's been shame. And we know that Jesus has covered all of that, but we need to be reminded this morning that true vulnerability and true intimacy will give us access to him that we've never experienced before. We cannot keep on coming in like those men did every single time, every single Sabbath. We cannot just keep coming in. There's a method to come in, and this is what we do, and you can only do that then, Jesus. No. It's messy. It's beautifully messy. And I don't know, I'm just going to say it. Some of us older people have, have walked a longer journey and there's been stuff. And I'm not saying we need to do deliverance and to do um, inner healing here, but I do believe that the presence of Jesus is here and he is already doing the healing in your innermost parts right now. And so I want you to respond this morning. Um, there's another story, I'm not going to go into it, but in 3 John, where John is talking, he's writing a letter to, I think you pronounce it Gaius, G-A-I-U-S, and 
he was a man, and there was a scripture there that says, um, John is saying to him, so he's talking to Gaius. So Gaius had a health issue in his body, and he's saying, may you, may you prosper in your health, Gaius, just as your soul prospers. If you read that, I encourage you to go read that. It's just two pages. The story of Gaius and, and what he was up against in that time. He was a man of truth. It says he, he lived the truth. He believed the truth. And he was a man of faith. And he was a man of love. And the situation that was happening, there were other church leaders at the time there who were opposing the truth and going off and starting their own truths. Okay? And there was this faithful man, Gaius, who in the midst of persecution and everything there, because he, he was a man of truth, he wasn't swayed, even when other people around him were saying, no, you don't do it that way, this is the way. He stayed the course, and he was a, a man full of love for brothers and family. Simple, truth and love are twins. The truth and love are twins. And, and the Bible says his soul prospered in everything. His soul prospered in every situation. His soul prospered. And I want that for my life. I want that for your lives. And um, I want you to stand this morning with me. Because there's no steps to having a prosperous soul. It's Jesus, the initiator, who comes. And it's us who, re who respond to that. And you might be here saying, I'm a mess, Jane. I don't even know how to go forward. I do know about Jesus. I do love him, but I don't know how to access him. I want those people to come forward this morning. I want, there may be some older people, and I'm not putting an age to it, but you may have had things that you've walked in your, in your past, in your childhood, that are surfacing now, later on in life. And it's the Holy Spirit who wants to heal it. Who wants to put a solve on disappointment, anger, betrayal, hurt and pain. Whether it's been from people, churches, parents, whatever it may have been. It might have been an abusive situation, emotionally, physically, some trauma to your life that has affected your soul area. And you just feel like there's some areas in your innermost being that are just prisoned. And he's come to open the prison cell, the prison doors. It was for freedom that Christ came. If there's any one of you feeling that, and I don't want you to have the thoughts that I've done, I've done courses, I've been to inner healing courses, I've had a sozo. You know in your soul area if there's something that's keeping you back. And even if you're going through dark and terrible times, like the valley of the shadow of death, there's a place in him that he wants you to access, a beautiful place in the realms of heaven, to access who he is.
Holy Spirit is just touching you and you're just feeling, I do want hands laid on me. Just come and meet me in the front here. We're going to just trust Him, love Him, and posture ourselves.